Welcome to episode 29, season two of Relevant Conversations for All. Today's episode is called Redlining. We'd like to welcome you guys back. And uh, we were on a short hiatus last week, but we are back in full force talking about redlining. This is um, a very common situation that started way back when and continues to exist today. But before we get into that, let me just give a brief history as to the concept of redlining. So in the 1930s, the federal government began to support the expansion of American home ownership and drew color-coded maps of every metropolitan area in the country. Um, this was done by an organization called HOLC. This was to determine which neighborhoods were best for investment. The maps essentially classified neighborhoods by their perceived level of, and I quote, desirability, implying that loans and mortgages to people in less desirable areas or quote unquote hazardous areas were unwise investments. So HOLC based these maps of neighborhoods on desirability, largely on the racial and ethnic composition of those areas. So neighborhoods with people of color and or immigrants were determined or deemed to be less desirable locations for investment. For example, red areas in one particular state represented historically black neighborhoods. And this particular neighborhood was deemed a constant, and I'm quoting, a constant threat of undesirable racial infiltration to the surrounding neighborhoods. Uh, isn't that the same nonsense spewed to the country during the former administration? Um, of course, of course. Um, it, it didn't grow out of thin air, right? No, um, we, can, we can blame the former administration for a lot of things, but we can blame them for creating the racist attitudes and habits that have long since been a part of this nation, like this ever true. since it was established. This is true. We can give them the credit of originality. But right. predominantly white neighborhoods were, um, well, they received higher grades, red being the lowest, and colored green or blue and that meant that loans were easily obtained and accessed by the people who lived in these communities or had interest in investing in these communities. Meanwhile, residents in so-called um, hazardous areas were unable to secure loans to buy property or to fix up existing structures. So this resulted in a vicious cycle of disinvestment. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> it should. <laughs> so this is redlining. And it was named for the neighborhoods outlined in red. Green equals first grade or best. Blue equals second grade or still desirable. Yellow equals third grade or declining. And red is fourth grade 
or hazardous. And again, it's in the red areas that you will find the majority of people of color, particularly in modern day times, um, black and Hispanic individuals. Now, um, the federal government devised this in 1930, but if we take a close look and if we pay attention to what is happening today, it absolutely continues to exist, um, although it will be denied. In fact, um, again, as I mentioned earlier, it was mentioned in the last uh, administration that uh, trying to incite fear in white suburban women saying, you don't want these people to live next to you in the suburbs. You know, that right. reinforcement of redlining. And it's sad and unfortunate that some people either don't recognize that it exists or they deny that it exists because it is 100% in effect, in full effect, just as it was in the 1930s. Right. Um, I would like to challenge everyone to take a look at the metropolitan city that they look in and, and consider the areas that are predominantly um, of one race. Those that are typically considered desirable, you will find are predominantly, if not all, white. And those that are deemed undesirable will be particularly um, Black neighborhoods or Hispanic neighborhoods. Right. Right. And, and to all of your points, I agree. And maybe it wasn't called redlining. And we talked about this offline, but um, it, it wasn't called redlining when uh, people came to this country and there were already people here and they decided just to take the land and do what they wanted to with it and then provide them with specific areas that they could live in. Mm -hmm. So this redlining as a concept is in no way, you know, was happening well before the 1900s, 1800s, 1700s, when they were still taking land from the indigenous people and pushing them into um, places that they deemed suitable for them to live in, or at least, okay, we don't want that land back yet. We have the, the country has since gone back and taken land slowly but surely and in large chunks, mm -hmm. even from the indigenous people. So yeah. redlining as a concept has been around ever since this land was invaded uh, by people who would steal it and then enslave people on it and treat everyone who does not look like them badly. Right, right. And uh, the end result of, <clears throat> of the redlining that we um, are talking about here mm -hmm. ends up in what is the, the hot word of the day, which is gentrification. Of so course. You look at these red areas that are deemed hazardous where people may in fact own property, but the property is dilapidated and um, what happens is, as mentioned, they go to banks and they attempt to get loans and they're either offered outrageously high interest rates or they are just simply denied. So that means they cannot fix up the structures that they have. So the neighborhood continues to depreciate. Well, then comes gentrification. And gentrification is, is basically a nice word for saying that um, those people 
who um, had deemed the area hazardous and have money come in from the green area and take their money. And now it's a desirable area because it may be close to a highway, a parkway, a freeway, or it might be close to an area where um, people are working and it's very productive. Uh, they will come in and they will buy up the property at an extremely low rate, interest rate and price. And then they fix it up. And as they fix up these properties and as they buy these properties, uh, the people who live there become displaced. Right. Sometimes you and I have talked about, well, where are all these people being displaced to? Because right. that is something that is not always public knowledge, but we know that they are sent off somewhere because once an area becomes gentrified, it typically locks out the people who were originally there. Um, so you would think that gentrification or some form of it would come with a balancing factor if they were in fact trying to um, rectify this systemic racism that would offer the people who live there opportunities to acquire loans at the same interest rates that they are offering these larger investors so that they can have an opportunity to invest in a neighborhood that they have resided for the majority of their lives, if not all of their lives. Of but course. that does not seem to happen. Can we, can we talk a little bit with regard to the areas that are being gentrified exactly Absolutely. how um, these investors go in and they actually, you know, we can't, Oh, we can't blame the plan that happened in the 1930s for it's, it's just following along, right? Because at any point, the people who were elected to represent these people mm -hmm. should be able to eradicate the plan. But they follow along and it doesn't matter the color of the people who were elected or who are in city government, whereas they go along with the plan of, to your point, these investors come in, they fix up the properties, they drive up the prices, mm -hmm. but that doesn't necessarily affect the people who are living there. What affects them is then the taxes increase to a level that the people who are living in these properties cannot afford. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they end up either unable to pay the taxes, so they accept a lesser amount for the house, or they fall behind on taxes. And then the city actually takes the house because of bad due taxes. So, you know, everything is being perpetuated and by no means are we saying, obviously, gentrification has had the help of many people of all different races in order to perpetuate itself. Started, of course, by the plan of uh, starting to redline and uh, just basically saying buy here, you can't buy there, but it has grown in that the investors who move into these areas, not only do they come in and fix them up, but they bribe the politicians in order to almost have exclusive access hmm. to these areas. And then they go in, fix them up and the taxes drives 
the other people out. So it's so, um, it, it was a foundation and then it gets built upon by the, the future people who come along and continue to perpetuate. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I do see a point in that, but I'd, I'd like to add this into it. So you talked about the political reinforcement of various um, colors and shades of people. But um, as we saw historically in, in the not too distant past, mm-hmm. that uh, those placed in power are only allowed to do what the forces behind them allow them to do. For sure. So Absolutely. even if we have politicians that represent various groups of people, um, if they don't play the game, then their thoughts and ideas never seem to come to pass. And, and we saw that overtly, right? Mm-hmm. So, and we're seeing it now. For example, with the current president, you know, he can make all kinds of good ideas, have all kinds of good ideas. But if, if it's not approved in Congress, if it's not approved in the House of Representatives, well, it doesn't happen. So the same people that have devised and orchestrated the systemic issue remain to be the same group of people, generationally, who continue to dictate what even the politicians that we have elected to put in place who are doing their best to do what they can. Right. Yeah, and, and, and to that, yeah. I'm, I, I get what you're saying. I think to your point, for those who are doing their best to get what they can, but there are also the, the actual goals, as long as they're being upheld by the people who put the system into place, allow those into office who sometimes are not doing their best, right? right? And uh, oftentimes are uh, complicit in such things as gentrification or even redlining because Mm -hmm. these same people of, um, of different, like I said, different races, they might not want their own race living next door to them. Yeah. You know, so uh, they assist uh, these practices in uh, persisting across, you know, like the different urban areas that you mentioned, and uh, they assist in making sure that they continue on. So there's work to do, definitely, with regard to passing the laws that make these things illegal, but there's work to be done in the hearts and minds of, you know, like your neighbor or my neighbor or you know the people who are listening their neighbors in order to understand that if someone attempts to move into your area and they have the means to do so maybe you know they they would just be a good neighbor and not a threat as you've uh mention certain people have been referred to as. Yes, yes. Well, I think in order for that to happen, um, people need to understand that race is a theory. Mm -hmm. Um, It is someone's thought 
that has been perpetuated and turned into this whole racial divide that keeps people separated. Um, there is no one race greater than the other. Right. Um, and I think the sooner that people allow that to marinate within themselves, the better off we will be. Um, race has been used as a tool to consistently divide people and to have people against other people who don't look like them. But really, there is no justification in it. I mean, if we really sit down and we attempt to be rational about it, there is no justification in it. Other than the fact that someone made a decision that they wanted to be superior to all other beings. Right. And so they put themselves on a higher pedestal. And that person that had that theory belonged to the same group that he placed on a pedestal. So we need to swallow that jagged edge pill and uh, just get over ourselves and realize that they're uh, racist theory. And that there really is no variation in the 1 16th inch of skin <laughs> that covers right. us all. The variations, the different shades that we see are a result of where our people originated from, whether it was hot, whether it was cold, and the type of protection that was needed. But beneath everyone's skin, it's the same. We all bleed red. We okay. all have a heart, whether, <laughs> you know, I'm talking right. physically. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we all breathe there and, and we have the same uh, needs in order to survive, food, clothing, and shelter. You know, um, once we swallow that jagged edge pill and, and recognize the fact, okay, that was a difficult pill to swallow, but here we are in the reality that we are the same, but we right. come to the table with this amazing uniqueness of beautiful characteristics and traits that can make us all better, not to separate us, but to right. contribute to this wonderful salad that we call this world. Um, right. You know, I, I wanted to just reflect on the redlining and when it comes to those who don't own property that mm -hmm. are renting and how that is impacted by gentrification. So when people are renting and they live in the, are, hazardous, quote-unquote, area, um, as their leases expire, they just don't get renewed. Right. So um, that person, those people, that family, will be forced to leave. And they leave with nothing and have to find somewhere else to live. And there is that perpetuating displacement of people, you know? And... Yep. As they leave, that landlord simply renovates that rental space and now calls it a condo or a co-op or whatever he or she would like to call it. And right. there is the investment that is multiplied a hundred times over. Right. And, um, but the question remains, you know, this is a perpetuating cycle. There's only but so much space to displace people too. So what happens when that room runs out? What happens right. to people? And, and to your point, like I've seen 
you know, I've worked in real estate for the past, what, 16 years now. And I've seen landlords actually go in and renovate around people. Mm. you know, so that they could continue collecting the rent. They didn't necessarily empty the property, but what it came down to was that after they renovated, then um, they would raise the rent and again, make it unaffordable for the people who were living there. So they had no choice but to move. Mm. So um, it can be, Either way that it's done, it's, you know, uh, heartless in order to leave people without a place to live. So if you thought that you were living, let's say, halfway decent in the redlined area that uh, outside of the redlined area that you were forced into, then now you have to downgrade even more to a more affordable place because you know either the house apartment or area that you're living in you can no longer afford right right and consider that to your point that um some of these people and families have been paying the same rent for quite some time and that is all that their salary allows them to pay now if they are suddenly displaced um and they've spent 10 to 15 years in one location, the rent is going to be considerably higher in other locations. So again, you have um, that disparity mm-hmm. um, and the, the continued displacement. You know, um, as I was speaking, I, I thought about some things that I have seen and you and I talked about this and visiting various um, states and, and the cities. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly areas that are considered to be hazardous, um, there's almost like a, uh, a pushing, if you will. So for example, when I see the gentrification happening, all of a sudden that area, for example, if it was a cluster of projects, mm-hmm. um, all of a sudden you have these massive lights that come on as soon as darkness approaches and they shine directly into people's apartments and yeah. you will see a tremendous amount of police presence. So wait a minute, mm-hmm. you know, I say to myself, well, wait, um, where was the police presence before? See, but now you have investors and you have a different shade of people moving into the area right. and they are worthy of protection, but right. the people who live there are not, you see? So the police presence is not for those who still remain in a few existing projects. They're for the people who are moving in around the projects to protect them, you know? And And it's time that people begin to open their eyes and recognize the tremendous disparity that exists in this country. And this is not the only country, by the way, where such disparities exist. But since we live in this country, we're going to focus for this conversation on this country. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I take it quite personally that all of a sudden people are deemed worthy of being 
quote unquote protected because you still have that sense of um, the the animals. You don't want to let right. down these animals. Right. So therefore, we're going to increase the police protection and keep you safe with your new investment so that you can walk the streets at night. But right. prior to that for years, people who lived in that area who cried out for help, right? who asked for more police presence and never received it, are now subjected to being held captive inside their own homes. Well, two, two points um, that I'd like to make um, totally in agreement with what you just said. Like the police, as they stand, are doing no more than what they were originally created to do, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which was to round up and keep in line those of color. And, you know, that's not saying that there are not good police officers out there or the police cannot be reformed. But, you know, overall, their edict has been clear and has been carried out based on what they were originally put together to do. And also, um, with regard to redlining and its effects, we we also talked about this offline, how it not only affects where you live, but what's given to those communities outside of police is the schools. How much money are your schools getting to get supplies in order to educate your children? How often is your garbage picked up before cats and rats and other animals, raccoons in urban areas are tearing into your trash? Then you have trash all over the street. You know, um, there are so many things that are let go in these areas and to your point earlier if you get a loan in order to try to fix things up then your your loan is at ridiculous rates and or you're not able to get a loan because that's not the intention they want these areas to fall into disrepair and then they will wait until somebody comes to the city offers them the right amount of money they'll give them a whole block let's not even talk about Uh, how cities can take the land and say, hey, just move your house. You can have the house, move it, because the land is ours. So uh, eminent domain, you know, so with that being the case, you know, the people end up in a catch-22, either never owning property, which is the quickest path to wealth in this country, or owning a property that is in such disrepair that it's like it it breaks down the I guess the desire in order to live better because this is where they've been placed and unfortunately being beaten down all throughout their lives this is where they still are so it's it's really it's dehumanizing I've seen it firsthand and, uh, you know, this, this country, after we address policing, voting rights, 
you know, the infrastructure bill is partially uh, put together to try to help with this, but they need to dig deeper and enforce the laws against redlining that are already on the books because they just let that go by the wayside as well. Right, right. So, yeah, to your point, we're talking about neighborhoods and, and situations where people are oppressed, suppressed. Mm-hmm depressed and distressed and that combination of factors uh, plays on self-esteem it Mm -hmm. plays on self-worth again it is something that was devised to create a cycle of disinvestment Um, but at the same time it destroys the people that live in these areas, or it has the ability to destroy the people. In these Absolutely. Areas. So um, we're already yeah, at the end of this week's broadcast, but um, I just wanted to reread that quote that appeared in um, the organization that started the whole redlining process when it spoke to or reference to one neighborhood in particular. Um, and it doesn't have to, I don't need to give the name of that particular neighborhood in what state it was in, but just a thought. And I quote, a constant threat of undesirable racial infiltration to the surrounding neighborhoods. I just want people to marinate on that quote for a moment and recognize the fact that they are actually talking about people, not animals. But it sounds a whole heck of a lot like they're talking about keeping wild animals right. in a particular area. And I also want people to consider race as being a theory. This is not based on fact. This is someone's thought, someone's idea that a group of people decided to go haywire with and use it to divide people and to separate people. Instead of swallowing that jacket pill and getting rid of what is deemed to be race because that has been the great divider. And let's begin to work together because we need to stand united in order to make any of these changes. United, our voices will be great, but divided, they will hear nothing. So, and when I say we, again, I'm talking about all humans who are listening to this podcast and it makes you feel that sort of way, makes that knot well up in your gut to think that this was a plan Those are the people that I'm talking to. We need to stand together and unite and change things. Well, thank you for joining us once again. Um, Please let us know your thoughts, your feelings. Share the podcast. I think this, as many other of the podcasts that we've created, are very important and help to enlighten people's knowledge as to the world around us. 
So for now, join us again next week, and um, we hope to hear back from you. Thank you.